Well, welcome back. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Tonight, uh, in our basic series, what we will be talking about is salvation. And for at, at some point, as you are discussing with friends, families, and loved ones, occasionally you will get the question, how can I be saved? <clears throat> it's a question that uh, actually I encountered about 38 years ago. And uh, as I encountered that, uh, I got several different answers from several different people. What I'd like to do tonight is go through a process and uh, let us see how that we can actually get to the point where salvation becomes our own salvation, one that God has actually designed for us and given us through uh, the Bible. The question, how can I be saved? And I'm going to say there are three, uh, a lot of times we try to make things uh, memorable. And so uh, here, here's my process uh, for you. First of all, you have to recognize your sin. You have to repent of your sin. And you have to relinquish your life. So the three, what we'll be looking at tonight are the three R's. Not of education, but the three R's of salvation. So if you will, pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word that leads us to you. And Lord, it is through your word that we understand and can see that there is hope and that there is the availability of relationship with you. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. We pray in Jesus' name. So, I believe that as you are encountering the idea of salvation, that the first, one of the first, I guess, potholes in the road that you have to overcome or uh, one of the things that you have to uh, understand is that you have to know or hear the bad news before you can hear or understand the good news. And as we, uh, as we encounter that, well, we have to realize that, that sin exists in us. And this particular sin, this sin that we uh, have in us, separates us from God. And it is that separation from God and us uh, we need to bridge at some point and in some way. So, what does sin look like? I think that's the first thing that we have to encounter as we're trying to uh, define salvation is, what is it that really separates us from God? And I tell you, it's, uh, you know, you ask someone and they just say sin. And I don't know about you, but that just like, okay, that's a nice three-letter word. Doesn't really have a lot of impact on me. But as I was uh, looking through various things, one of the things that uh, I noticed was uh, there are something like 167 different sins that I was able to count. So uh, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of ways that you could mess up or mess up your relationship with God. So we won't cover all 167 tonight. Uh, we'll just cover a few so you'll get the general idea. Uh, first of all, what I'd like you to do is, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. 
Now, in that section, or in this section, Paul is writing, and he is defining sin for us, and he calls them the acts of the flesh. And he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then at the end of this, uh, he has the all-encompassing and the likes, things like these. He says, I warn you, as I did before that, but before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The bad news is that if you live like this, you will not have relationship with God. In Romans 1... Uh, in verse 30, it says that slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and those disobedient to parents are going to be separated from God. I threw in this part of the list because the whole idea of being haughty or boastful or insolent uh, is something that I believe that that's, that's a bridge we cross all the time. Other places, you'll find that gossip is included uh, in the list. So it is, it is always upon us to understand that it is easy for us to separate ourselves from God. I want to continue looking at the idea of sin and what, what this actually means. In Romans 2, 6 through 8, it says, For those who disobey, there will be wrath and fury. Again, the idea of disobedience to what God has intended for you to actually do. John 14, 15 helps us also, I believe. There it is written, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love God, if you love Jesus, if you love the Holy Spirit, you're going to do what they've asked you to do. John 2, I'm sorry, 2 John 1, verse 6 says this, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as I have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So God is wanting us to be compliant. He's wanting us to, of course, he gives us free will, and he allows us to do what we want to do, but he has guidelines, he has rules, he has things that are going to help our life be better if we'll just listen to him. Now, here's the result of the sin according to the scriptures. In Romans 3.23, it says that all fall short of the glory of God. And what that tells me that as I live my life, a perfect life is, is not something that I am going to do. Romans 6.23 tells me this, the wages of sin is death. And that is, that is separation from God. That is spiritual death. And I can remember back 38 years ago, this got my attention. The fact that the things that I would, uh, was, was about, the things that I was 
uh, that I, I was doing at that time uh, were things that actually could cause eternal separation from me and, uh, me and God. John 3, 3 says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You see, in the midst of the bad news, what I want you to understand is there's good news. I don't want to just pile bad news on bad news on bad news so that uh, you'll all of a sudden realize that there is no hope because God is a God of hope. In Luke 13, it says that unless you repent, you you will perish. You see, at first, what we have to do is recognize that our behavior has caused separation from God. But what we have to do next is actually do something about that. We have to uh, change things. We have to turn things around. I believe one of the best stories that helps us understand repentance is in Psalms 51. It's the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, and it is a dramatic account in the Old Testament where one night David is on his rooftop and he spots a beautiful woman that is bathing nearby. David asked his servant about her and was told that she was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty men. Despite her marital status, David summoned Bathsheba to the palace and they slept together. Nathan, later on in that story, as it unwinds, eventually Nathan points to David and utters these chilling words. As David has agreed how detestable it is for someone to commit adultery, however, what Nathan says to him is, you are that man. See, David was guilty of this sin, and judgment would be on his house in the form of ongoing violence. In Psalm 51, though, we see that David repented. Nathan had to remind David of the sin he has committed. 2 Samuel 12, 9 says this, Why have you despised the word of God to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. The sin that David has committed is heinous. Uh, He has not only committed adultery, he's also committed murder. Psalm 51 reads like this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, and after he had gone into Bathsheba, David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David, as he starts out, is not pulling uh, punches. He has recognized his sin. He is recognizing that he is separated from God 
and he is on his knees and crawling toward God, asking for God to forgive him. Verse 3 says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret part. David is in dialogue in 3 through 6 here with God. He is confessing his sin. He is laying out what he has done wrong. David is acknowledging that the sin belongs to him and that all the guilt and shame from that sin rests on him alone. David also affirms that God does not dwell on the wrongful act, but looks to the admission of it truthfully and the lesson learned. Again, in the midst of, of the confession, what we see are the glimmers of hope for those that are wanting to change their ways. In verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a heart, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In verse 7, we see what David is doing, what he is working toward here. He's asking God to rid him of all the sin, both physically and spiritually. Purge me with the hyssop. Uh, he's uh, talking about uh, an, an agent there. This hyssop is going to clean his inside clean his, his bowels and inner being and wash it out, all the bad stuff that is inside me. And then he follows that and says, wash me. Wash me on the outside too. Clean me inside and out. But he moves from there, the cleansing aspect of this. He next moves to ask God for restoration. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Clean out my ears uh, from all the noise of the world. And while you're letting me hear joy and gladness, mend my bones. The fact of the matter is, where David is sitting right then with all the pain of knowing of all the things that he has disturbed by his heinous sin, it feels like he has broken bones throughout his body. And he says, let, the broken, let these bones that you have broken rejoice. Let there be positive that comes from the healing from this. 
And then he, he goes into this, this prose that tells us of the hope that he has, where he is, is talking to God and says, create God in me. Renew me, God. Keep me close. Don't push me away. Restore me. David is longing for relationship to be restored with God. And he is hurting because that relationship has been broken. And he doesn't blame God for that. He's blaming himself. But he's asking God to bring him back into the fold. In 13 through 17, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be play, pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. He's in that section, and I would call it the if section. If you will, or the if only. If only, God. If, if only restoration is possible, then... I'll do this. I'll, I will teach the transgressors, uh, the transgressors. I will let them know how bad their ways are. I will teach the sinners, and I will lead them back to you. As he says this, what he also says is, I know, Lord, that you are not desiring sacrifice. Because, you know, if, if sacrifice could actually solve it, wouldn't we all do the sacrifice? We would take the animal and burn the animal so that our soul would feel better. We would take any amount of money and pay for our sin to be redeemed. But it's not that kind of sacrifice that God is looking for. What God is looking for is a person's change. Notice in verse 17, a broken spirit, no more uh, pride, no more haughtiness, no more arrogance. Uh, you are now turning your life back to God and letting God be in control. A broken and contrite heart, you understand that there are ripple effects of your sin and they go out throughout the population around you and others are going to follow you down the sinful road. The idea is that on recognition of this, is that, is that God despises this, but if we can turn around, God will love us. 18 and 19, do good design in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 
You see, the psalmist has lived through the dark night of the soul and emerged on the other side, ready to teach others the ways of God. He has, he has repented of his sin, and now he can go forth and actually enjoy living in relationship with God again. So what does uh, what sin does to us? We need to understand that what sin does to us, uh, when we fail to confess it, it's going to do seven different things to us. First of all, uh, according to this particular psalm, it soils the soul. Uh, in, in verses 1, 2, 7, and 10 in this, it emphasizes that sin is dirty and polluting to your lifestyle. Also, the second thing is it, it fills the mind. The last part of verse 3 indicates the fact David's sin was prominent in his thoughts. He couldn't get away from the sin he had committed. It also, sin, stings the conscience. The significance of, uh, of the opening in verse uh, 4 uh, is, is telling him that his own conscience is telling him that he is guilty. The fourth thing is it depresses the heart. The opening words in verse 8 tell us that because of his sin, David lost his joy. He was depressed. It affects the body. Uh, that's our fifth thing. The end of verse 8 reminds us that when we are out of fellowship with God, we are out of harmony within ourselves. The sixth thing is that it sours the spirit. Verse 10 makes it clear that David was conscious that his spirit had been wrong all the time. And the last thing is it seals the lips. Verse 14 and 15 tell us because of his sin, David had no testimony. He was not able to sing with the joy that he had once had. And he's not able to share that joy with others. And he wasn't able to praise God during that time. So the question is, how should we seek to get that fellowship destroyed by sin restored? As we look at this particular psalm, uh, we, we can see five things that will bring us closer uh, to God. First of all, in verse 1, we must assure ourselves of God's unfailing love and compassion. We have to remember that even in the midst of our sin and our time of crisis, that God is the one that is not moving. We are the ones that moved away from him. Secondly, we must acknowledge our sin and confess it openly to God. We need to be aware of the big sins that we are committing and make sure that we understand that we own those sins. Also, we must ask for and receive by faith forgiveness and cleansing from sin. At some point in our lives, we have to actually face God and let God know that we have went astray. The fifth thing is we must rejoice in the blessing of the renewed and faithful service of the Lord. We have to then, once we have uh, repented and God has forgiven, we can rejoice. The 
But folks, it doesn't stop there. If we, if we just repented of the sin, we would fall short still. God has expectations of other things along the way. You see, we need to recognize that we are separated from God and we must find a way back to him. And I believe that repentance is the way that God chooses for you and I to make your way back to him. The repentance is going to uh, recognize the sin so much and the, the hurtfulness of what we've done, but then it is going to cause, the pain is going to cause us to change directions. And so what does repentance look like? Repentance, or metanoia, uh, called throughout the Bible, is a summons to a personal, absolute, and ultimate, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? A, an absolute and un ultimate, unconditional surrender to God. Well, I think that the easy way that I have explained it, or the way I've tried to explain it, is that what you have to do, one has to make a complete change of direction in their behavior and turn toward God. You're going one way, and it is evil. You recognize the evil that you're doing, and you turn around, and you come back. When I first was trying to teach people, I used to say, you have to go down when you, rem when you uh, recognize that you are involved in sin, you have to go along and then make a 360-degree turn. Uh, and then I realized at that point, if you do that, you're still going out there off into evil land. 180 degrees, changing directions. Not going uh, to Satan, but turning around, going to God. Again, trying to understand what repentance looks like. Second Chronicles 7:14 says this: "If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land." God has a way back. This is the good news in the Old Testament. This is this is telling us how to reforge the relationship with God. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Turning from the sin uh, and then turning to times of refreshment. Mark 1.15 says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's time to change. He's telling all of us it's time to change and do it God's way. So a summary of, of, of the behavior that leads to repentance. Number one, humble yourself. There's no room for pride and arrogance in the kingdom of God. Secondarily, we have to be in communication with God. We have to pray. But it can't just stop at prayer where we're asking God to do something. The next thing that we have to do is we have to be action-oriented ourselves. We have to seek God. Seeking God means you are going to 
uh, you, you're going to dig up through your life and get rid of all the evil things that are in your life. I believe that this is a stopping point for a lot of people. Because sometimes your social systems, your places of friendship, your support systems may be built on the taverns of this world and the people that you are seeking solace from and the people that you're seeking um, actually affirmation from are going to be giving you advice from Satan. So after seeking God, what you have to do is turn away from sin. But it's not just turning away from sin. You have to replace that sin with something else, and what you have to do is turn to God. What we're talking about is life change. Not living life like you have lived before making the changes necessary that God will have you do what he wants you to do. I added one to the list because I believe it is uh, the one that is easiest for us to leave out. And that when you recognize all of the above, what you have to do is stop procrastinating. Because I believe that many a sinner has died because I am going to change my life tomorrow. I'm going to change my life. Uh, you know what? It, I, I still want to spend time having fun in this world. I want to uh, rebel. I want to revel with alcohol. I want to do all those things that I consider worldly fun. But when I grow up, when I'm older, I'm going to change. God calls for us to recognize our behavior now and make the changes accordingly. 1 Peter 3.21 says this, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I didn't throw this in as a uh, uh, for us to, to, start, to, to start our discussion on baptism at the moment. But what I want us to see here is that what God is calling for is not a physical washing. If we go up into the, the tub of the baptistry there, uh, after we are immersed in the water, there isn't going to be uh, sin that is dripping off of us. It's not going to be uh, like dirt what God is wanting to do is a spiritual washing, a spiritual renewal. Psalm 32.3 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though uh, through my groaning all day long. The idea of once you recognize that you are out of a relationship with God, uh, after you are in the situation where you understand that you are sinful, that your sin is harmful not only to you but others around you. It is a painful situation and that only God can actually help you through that. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us 
our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, God has a way for us to remove ourselves from the bad situation that we are in. And that leads us to the last section. You see, you have to relinquish your life to God. You have to turn your life around by turning around and giving your life to God. You can't keep going the way you're going and continue the way that you're continuing and expect God to forgive you and for God to give you salvation. We have to do our part. And so in the book of Acts, the question is actually asked that we're asking. Peter goes through a great sermon where he is letting the Jews in Jerusalem, getting ready for the Passover, to understand exactly, or actually for Pentecost, for them to actually know what to do. You see, in this sermon, the Christ killers were convicted, and they asked to overcome their sin. And I call them the Christ killers because these are the people that were in the square when, when Pilate says, do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus to be let go today? And they asked for the life of Barabbas to be spared and Jesus to be killed. And what Paul says, it's you. The guilt is on you. And so when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. When I read this, it gives me chill bumps. Because these are the very people that were saying that Barabbas should be let go. And that in the, in the moment there, when they are cut to the quick, and they know they need to change their ways, they ask the question, and God gives it. The Holy Spirit has it written down for us to understand how to achieve salvation. Let's also look at Romans 6, verses 1 through 7. We see, uh, you know, we see back in, in uh, Acts 2, 37 through 42, 41 about repenting and, and being baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin but what we have to do is we have to try to make sense of what is actually going on as this happens and as, as I see it in Romans 6 1 through 7 it becomes so clear in verse 1 what shall we say then 
Or do we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. I tell you what, folks, all I can say at the end of this is amen. As we see this, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, No, we have to stop sinning. And how can we who have died to sin still live in it? How can we continue to live in sin? And Paul is saying, there is no way you can continue to live in sin. And the question is why? It's because you have died. You have gone to the cross. You have been crucified. You are the other person on the cross next to Jesus. Your sins have been placed on the cross and they have been crucified. You see, we were united in death, a death like his. And because of that, we also are going to get a resurrection like his. A bodily resurrection. Remember, he uh, came back after his resurrection. He walked among people. He talked. He was resurrected into a newness of life, into eternal life. This process lays to rest the sinful life we lived in the past and frees us to live a righteous life in the future. You see, we were baptized into death. We were baptized. We, when we went down into the watery grave of baptism and we were under the water, if, if the person that is in the process of baptizing you, mind you, uh, continues to keep pressure on you and you cannot come up above the water, you are dead. You were baptized into his death. When you are under the water, you cannot live. It says here in verse 4, we were buried with him. And that's what it's like when you are under the water. Uh, If you replace the water with dirt, or you put, uh, if if you replace that with uh, a a, uh, burial vault, you're dead. But see, the good news is, The old self, the old garbage, the old sin, all of this is going down into the water and it is being annihilated. And it is being buried.
there are mounds and mounds of places around cities where the bad trash has been buried. And what we know is that, that when something is no longer useful, it's put out into the pit and left there. But here's the good news. Jesus went to the grave. The stone was rolled away, and the tomb was found empty. And this is the promise that he has for us that we can have newness of life, that we die to self, we die to sin, we are buried with him, and we come up and raised as being new. So again, as we look at the question, what must I do to be saved? Number one, recognize that sin exists. As we're living out each day, as uh, we are in this world, the first thing is we have to understand what sin looks like. Because the fact of the matter is Madison Avenue and the great advertisers of this world and Hollywood here in California are going to make sin look good. They are going to make it look enjoyable. They are going to make it look delectable. They are going to make it look tasteful. But what we have to understand is that it may look good, but it is not good for you. So we have to understand what sin looks like. And God spells it out for us. It seems as if we, as we are living our lives, we, we think that we can be carefree and live willy-nilly all over the place, but God says, you have to stop doing these things. What we have to understand is that no one escapes sin. Sin is out there, sin. Uh, I'm going to change the name of sin for just a second to Satan. Uh, Satan is on the prowl and Satan is trying to take you down. Satan is looking for your weakness and he is going to exploit it. But Satan is not as powerful as Jesus. Satan cannot win the battle if you partner with Jesus through this. And so you recognize the sin that is in you and that it exists. The second thing is, is that you have to repent of that sin. And as we look at the repentance of David over in the book of Samuel, uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 51, uh, as we look at other areas, I think there are three things that we can uh, understand about repentance. First of all, I have to confess that I have sinned. And what's, what it actually means, uh, this confession, is I have to own my sin. What I can't say is that, that Terry actually caused me to do it. I can't say that Mike Ruskamp uh, thought it was a good idea for me to go over here and do this and blame it on him. What I have to do is I have to own my sin. 
I am the one that led myself to the point where I chose to disobey God. And I have to let God know that I am sorrowful for it. The second thing is we have to recognize that my sin has eternal consequences. Our sin causes us to be pushed away from God. God can't live in a sin environment, and when we start disobeying God's rules, we have eternal consequences that we have to uh, try to overcome. So what does repentance look like? I, what I have to do is I have to decide that I am committed to turning my life over to God and leaving my life of sin behind. I have to make that decision and then live that decision. Okay, that was recognize, that was repent. And the third thing is we need to relinquish our lives to God. I don't know about you guys, I'm not good at relinquishing anything. I like this diet, Dr. Pepper. And although I know during COVID times you wouldn't want to drink after, well, you probably wouldn't ever want to drink after me, but the fact of the matter is, I like the things that I have. I like the things that I do. I enjoy life. But I have to relinquish parts of my life. In fact, what I have to do is surrender my life to God. What does that mean? What does it mean that I have to uh, give my life up to God? First of all, I believe what it means is I have to die to self. Man, I tell you what, I do love me. And there are things that I do that I do just for me. But one of the things that when the question was asked in the book of Acts, from those that had killed the Christ, they were told to repent, but they were also told to be baptized and to join Jesus at the cross and let his blood cleanse us. You see, when you relinquish your life to God, what you are admitting is, is that you don't have the answers. God does. What we have to recognize is, is that we are not going to be arrogant and say, I can save myself. I can only be saved if God actually leads me to the place where I can do that. I love Romans 6 because it tells us how we have to join Jesus at the cross. Die to self, be baptized. The last part of this is be born again. You see, as we have gone down into the watery grave of baptism and we have died to ourselves, we come up out of the water with a new life. We come up with a new life, and, and it's not uh, a new life that we actually get to live on our own. We have to come up out of the water and be ready to serve God. We have to re be ready to put in the new things that we need to put in to maintain that lifestyle. If you'll pray with me.
Father God, we thank you for allowing us to talk about salvation. And Lord, I, I hope that through the words that we've spoken, which are your words, that people can see what sin looks like. And Father, we not only want people to recognize sin and understand that sin is in their life and that this sin is causing separation, what we want them to do is want to change. And so, Lord, as we pray tonight, we pray that many repent, that many actually will be walking in the wrong direction and turn around and come back to you. And, Lord, as they have changed direction, Lord, open their hearts, minds, and souls to a place where they can turn their life over to you. Lord, we thank you for making us a way out of the muck and mire of this world. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.